It is always a great blessing when our young people serve the Lord Jesus and bless us. I'm going to invite you to stand at this time and um, I'm going to share with you a passage of scripture. And we shared it last week as well at this time, heading into our Bible study. Uh, but I believe it's a word for us in these days, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 4, and simply says this, Do not let the sun go down on your anger so as to give an opportunity to the devil. Say it again. Do not let the sun go down on your anger so as to give an opportunity to the devil. Unrighteous anger gives the devil an opportunity, and the devil, Jesus said, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So when you don't get anger right in your life, you're giving him an opportunity to steal, kill, and destroy. And I want to tell you on the authority of God's word that the devil doesn't miss many opportunities. We'll pray together. Father, help us. Help us help us. To have a sin problem is to have an anger problem, and we are all sinful. So I pray for the person whose anger is volcanic this morning, and it's easily identified. And then I pray for the person who has an anger problem, and and they don't really think that they do. That you'd help us, you'd help us, not just help us, you'd heal us. I pray that there's nobody here today that leaves in anger, has the ultimate, the ruling, the authority in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated. This is the second week of a few weeks that we're going to do together on these Sunday mornings talking about God's grace for my destructive anger. And on the front end... Again, just to say it, if you've got a sin problem, you have an anger problem. And guess how many of us have a sin problem? 100% of us have a sin problem, and therefore, we all have an anger problem. We have an unrighteous anger problem, and then we also tend to have a righteous anger problem, meaning we don't actually get righteously angry about some of the things that we should in the world. Well, just by way of reminder, we did this last week, but I want to put a couple pictures on the screen. So let's start with this one. I don't know if you can make it out very well. It's a volcano, right? Some of us have a volcanic anger. It comes spewing out from us. And then some of us are like this. We actually have what I might call iceberg anger. I was thinking this week that some of us are like a, uh, this actually doesn't happen much, uh, if at all, obviously, in the world. We have, we, we have, we're volcanic icebergs. Iceberg is cold, it's distant, and then all of a sudden it erupts, right? Some of us this week have been on the receiving end of some unrighteous anger, and some of us have put some others, right, on the receiving end of our unrighteous anger. What we're going to ask is for the Lord to be at work in our lives at the deepest level of our hearts. I want you to know that God's grace is not for the surface of you. A verse that we've studied frequently in recent days is this, man looks on the outward appearance but God looks at the heart. And some of us are pretty good at coloring up the outside to make it appear that we don't have an anger problem. But when we get to the deeper level, the heart level that God does see, he by his grace and his word would be able to share with us that you really do have an anger problem. Look at this verse, Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So what the proverb is saying, either anger rules over you, right, or you, by God's grace, are able to rule over anger. It doesn't have the authority in your life. It doesn't tell you what to do. You're actually obeying the Lord and dealing with anger 
appropriately. And can I just start there? Can I just ask in your own life right now, are you dealing with anger appropriately? In your own life, in your family, in your marriage, with uh, brothers and sisters in the Lord and with those that you are sharing the gospel with, are you dealing with anger? Because, uh, because again, I want to say it a thousand times if, if necessary, anger can rule the heart, have the highest place in the heart, the controlling place in the heart. Uh, all of us have something that we bow down to, obey, serve, and ultimately trust. And unfortunately, some of us can do that with anger. But friends, again, anything that rules your heart that is not Jesus, it doesn't give to you, it takes from you. Amen? It doesn't give blessing to your life. It leads to a life that's full of cursing, figuratively and literally, quite frankly, right? And it doesn't satisfy. It actually prevents you from having the abundant life that Jesus came to give. We're going to look at uh, someone from the Scripture who has an anger problem. And most of us are going to be able to relate to him because of that. Uh, Sometimes God's word teaches us from the wise and sometimes it teaches us from fools. We can actually look at their lives and say, here's the mistakes they made and by God's grace we won't follow into it. We're going to learn a lot from this man. We'll learn about the destructive power of anger. In his family, the full effects of anger are on display. There is anger, there is jealousy, there is resentment, there's avoiding responsibility. There's thinking too much of self and thinking too little of others. There's the tendency we'll see to go to a worship service but not actually worship. There's the peril of pride and the hardness of heart until we get so angry and our heart is so hard that the Lord himself can seek to intervene and we will ignore him. Well, if you've got a Bible, let's start in uh, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, and we're going to go to chapter 4, and we're going to look at a man named Cain. He is the one of whom I have referenced. He's got an anger problem. And uh, before you already leap into your mind and say, oh, I know what this story is all about, uh, I want you to be receptive and believe and trusting that God's word is what it says it is. It's alive and it's active, right? In fact, if you know the whole details of everything that's going to happen, the Lord by his word can still speak to you. So let's pray together and then we'll study Genesis 4. Father, again, I pray in Jesus' name for help and healing pray again and again, God, that at at Calvary this morning, it's not just a worship service, that we come and leave and are not left spoken to by your word or transformed by your grace. I pray for real life help. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, uh, as we jump into Genesis 4, I call to your uh, memory a statement that Paul Tripp makes. And Paul Tripp says, the devil is fine if your formal theology is correct, so long as your functional theology belongs to him. And what that statement means is, the enemy's fine if you've got the right information, that you believe salvation is by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, that you believe the word of God is authoritative. It's fine if you say you believe all those things, just as long as on Monday mornings and Tuesday afternoons and Wednesday nights and at work and away from this place, functionally speaking, in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your relationships, you don't really implement the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is particularly true of our anger. We're going to look at four scenes from the life of Cain, and we're going to start with this first scene. This first scene I'll just call, it's a boy! It's a boy. Now, we want to get the context right. Genesis 4 obviously follows what? Genesis, who's tracking with me, 3. 
which in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decided that they were going to be God. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. They decided that they were going to be in charge. They were going to call the shots. They decided that God was no longer going to tell them what to do. They were going to decide what was right and what was wrong in their own lives. Can we just pause there for a moment and say, do you believe the Bible is relevant for real life? Because that's where we still are. That's where we remain. That's what sin is. Sin is telling God that he has no bearing on our lives and he has no place to tell us what to do. Who gave God the right to tell us what to do? Well, actually, God did. He's the creator. And friends, I want you to know when he tells you what to do, it is a work of grace. God is not trying to limit your life. He is trying to give you life. We limit life when we tell him he can't tell us what to do. And God responded to their rebellion with grace. In Genesis chapter 3, look in verse 15. In the midst of cursing them because of their rebellion, God makes a promise. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the serpent, the deceiver, to the enemy. And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And then it says here, um, well, to finish it, your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. In other words, nothing's coming easy anymore. Y'all have gone from bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Man will leave his husband, man will leave his mother and father, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one. And now everything that came easy is cursed. Be it the ground that you're going to get food from, the family that you're going to have, the marriage relationship itself. And then it says over here in verse 21, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them, covered them. So significant. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground. From which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tr- way to the tree of life. And that brings us to scene number one it's a boy. Now we got to be tracking together on this. Eve has been told that in her childbirth the pain will multiply, but Eve has also been told from the Lord that from her offspring, from the offspring of the woman, a redeemer is coming, a deliverer is coming. He's going to smash the enemy's head. There is one coming who is promised to set everything that has been made wrong right. Now, we're tracking together. If you'd been told that and you're Eve... She's about to make a huge assumption. And guess who Eve thinks is that promised deliverer? This makes sense, doesn't it? She thinks that the first one who's born in the midst of her agonizing childbirth is going to be the deliverer. Chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man... With the help of the Lord. Now, if you've got a Bible there and you read that verse, you've probably got all sorts of notations going on there, like some footnotes and, 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 and whatnot. And the reason for that is when she names this child, the first boy ever born, and she names him, the name is significant. And literally from the Hebrew, 
She says, his name's Cain, which means, I have help the Lord. So, so she thinks, and we can understand why, she's brought forth a son, and that son is her deliverer. Now, can we just talk real life? Do you think that a mom, you know, mothers usually see the best in their children, but do you think it might pose a problem for the child if from the day he's born, his mom looks at him as if he's the chosen one, the promised one? He's not, but he's raised thinking that he is. Now, this first scene, it's a boy, is about a major assumption. I have gotten a man, the Lord. And now here, Eve believes the one promised in Genesis 3.15 has arrived. But here's the problem. Where did he come from? He came from Adam, full-on sinner. Eve, full-on sinner. So guess what he is? Full-on sinner. And friends, this is why the Bible, the whole narrative is important. Because a sinner cannot save a sinner from their sin because they have their own sin. Cain is not the one promised in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So a quick word to parents, grandparents. The best thing you can do for your child is to point them to Jesus as the Savior, not to themselves. We are reaping, we are reaping in this generation the gospel of self-esteem. Our children do not need more self-esteem. Our children and we ourselves need much more Christ-esteem. That He is the Deliverer, not us. He's the sinless one, not us. He's the perfect one, not us. He's the one that gets the crowns and the trophies, not us. But now Cain, the narcissist, is in the world. One who needs to be delivered is being told that he is the deliverer. One who needs God's grace is convinced in his own mind he's God's gift to the world. One who has a heart in need of rescue believes he is the rescuer. And Cain grew up with his mom believing he was going to make everything right. And you want to talk about a dysfunctional family. Just parenthetically, can I just all agree on this? We've all come from dysfunctional families, amen? The first family is dysfunctional. The only functional family is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? I mean, we've all come from dysfunctional family, and now you know where this is going, but I want you to see the momentum behind what's going to happen with Cain and Abel. At first, Eve thought she could be God, right? Genesis 3 and Genesis 4, Eve thought her son would be God. So from scene number one, here we get a principle. From this first scene, principle still at place, still at play in the world. Here's a promise I'm giving you from this scene. As long as you believe you are in charge, you will be angry. As long as, 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 long as you believe you're in charge, you will be angry. 
So here's the effect of sin. We will either look to ourselves for deliverance or someone else who isn't up to it. Has this happened in your life? You thought life was going to get better as soon as so-and-so came along or maybe when you got married and then, oh, you realized you're married to a full-on sinner, right? Anybody realize that? And I brought my own sin into the marriage. Or, or you look for meaning and purpose in the life of your child. Man, that's so crushing to a, a child. Or you thought, I just got this job. Well, this is the effect of sin. We will look anywhere and everywhere for help, salvation, and hope other than the one place that it can actually be found. Most of the time, an anger problem is a control problem. Got an angry marriage? Here's the most likely scenario. Got a control problem. Who's in control? The only way marriage is going to work, friends, uh, we talk about this a lot on Sunday nights in our class, so I won't do it all right now. The only way a marriage works is if God's in control, period. End of discussion. As long as he or she, they try to wield control or authority. So, so that's scene one. It's a boy, and now this boy's growing up, and now we're going to go to scene number two. Scene number two, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll just call it, we'll title it, The Family Worships Together at the Altar. So let's keep reading. Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. Cain was a worker of the ground. Those are the only two jobs available at that time, right? What do you want to be when you grow up, a farmer or a shepherd? Pretty simple, wasn't it? In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets interesting, especially if you think you've been born to be the deliverer. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. I just say this parenthetically. It does not say he had regard for Abel's offering. He had regard for Abel and his offering. They go together. What you give unto the Lord, it's about your person, your heart, who you really are. But for Cain... And his offering, he had no regard. So, you ready for it? Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, the scripture says that God has regard for Abel and his offering, but not for Cain. How did they know that? right? It doesn't say this here, uh, but a tradition is that fire fell down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering, right? That happens frequently in the Old Testament. Again, uh, it doesn't say that that's what happened here, but however it happened, the message is sent from heaven, Abel, your offering is acceptable. And again, we don't know that fire fell, but fire falls and consumes Abel's offering, and then they're just sitting there, and they're waiting and they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And then it's revealed the Lord doesn't have regard for Cain's offering. And I don't know how much time goes by, but what we do know the effect is Cain was very angry. Think about it for a moment. However it happened, God says to Abel, acceptable, and he says to Cain, not acceptable. There's a lot of things going on here, right? But chief among them, 
I think, as an indication to Cain that what's true? He's not the greatest. He's not the deliverer. He is not who his mama thought he was. And he gets angry. Well, we don't have to remain ignorant about what the Lord saw in Cain's offering that he distinguished it from Abel's. The scripture actually tells us. We'll put the verse on the screen. It's from the book of Hebrews chapter 11. See if you can pick up on it. Hebrews 11 verse 8. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gift. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So, it's pretty straightforward, right? Abel offers to God on the basis of what? Help me out, church. Faith. And Cain offers a faithless sacrifice. Why does Cain need to have faith if he believes he's the deliverer? Do you know what's going on here? And man, this happens in worship. It's gotten into Cain's heart that he believes he's God's gift to the world, and it's reflected in what he offers. It's reflected in how he treats other people. It reflected in how he worships. Now, what is faith? It's a good question, isn't it? Faith is responding to what God has revealed. We're just in Genesis 4. What has God revealed? Here's what God has revealed. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What's been revealed? In order for you to be covered, someone has to, which I can, what? Die. How do you make a garment of skin without a life being forfeited? So it's the truth with grace. So how, how the Lord always is towards us. Truth is you can't pay this debt on your own. You need a sacrifice. You need a covering. The words are important. God clothed them. When God entered the garden after the fall, what had they tried to do? They tried to clothe themselves. So Cain's offering, again, is in line with that. I can just give God whatever I want to give him, fruit of the ground, no covering, no sacrifice, no death. He'll accept it because he has to. And that's where we live today, y'all. It is. Humanity has decided we can offer God whatever we want, and he's compelled to find it acceptable. And what did the scripture just teach us? No, he's not. Who gives him the right to tell us how we need to sacrifice? Do you know who gives him the right? God does. God does. Without the shedding of blood, there's no covering for sin. You see, Cain was not a man of faith. But you say, well, he came to worship. Hey, y'all, guess what? Just coming this morning, coming to a worship service, does not make you a person of faith. We just learned that from Genesis 4. He made an offering, but the reason it's possible to kind of tip your hat to God and come to worship and make an offering yet not have faith is because faith is trusting and acting on what God has revealed. What has God revealed? A sacrifice has to be made. Now, we've got an issue. Cain's been corrected. Cain's been corrected. Do you want to know uh, whether or not you have an anger issue? When's the last time you really were corrected? Let's, can we just put a few thoughts together, Rich, real quick? 
Do you believe that you have sin in your life? Sin is, it's a real simple thought, wrong. And therefore, if you're going to grow in Christ, sin that's wrong needs to be revealed and corrected. That's why humility, that's why humility is one of the most valuable traits you can have as a follower of the Lord. When is honestly the last time you were corrected by God's word, by his grace, by a brother or sister in the Lord, by the preaching of his word? Cain will demonstrate a lack of correctability, right? So here's the scene two, wrapping up scene two, about to move to scene three, but here's the promise from scene two. The only thing that can remove anger is grace. You can learn all sorts of habits like count to 10. Some of us started, we're going to count to 10, and we're up to like 100 now, right? Before I respond, I'm going to count to 100, and I got to 100, man, it's still there. Or you can kind of picture yourself at the beach. Relax, deep breath. But the only thing that will remove, see, here's the good news of the gospel. God's not giving you an ability to cope with sin. He's giving you grace to overcome sin in your everyday life. But the only thing that can remove sinful anger is grace. So let's move to scene number three, an opportunity to repent. That's what I'll title this one. So Cain was very angry. His face fell. Verse 6, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. What's God saying? Anger, Cain, will have the, not bottom level, middle level, it will have the ruling place in your life, Cain. It's crouching at the door. What's God doing? He's giving a warning. Because here's what we do with sin. We convince ourselves, we got this. I can control this. I flew off the handle this time, but next time it's going to be better. Next time I won't do that again. Next time, and, and then some of us are icebergs, right? We're not volcanic in our anger, but we're so distant and cold and shut down. And it's been a long time since we ever did anything sacrificial for the kingdom of God because we've just closed in on ourselves and shut the world out. And Cain, his countenance is falling. God's giving him a warning. He's smoldering with anger. And he's offering him the opportunity to repent. Now you know this already. Is Cain going to take it? He's not. And here's, this is really important. Anger in the heart doesn't stay where it is. It increases and increases and increases until it controls. And it will, friends. You, you might be sitting there, as I've often in my life will say, yeah, that's true for most people, but for me, that's not. No, it will. It will. It does not, anger does not need to be diminished. It must be removed. There is a way a person can come to God, and it is the same for all people. It is through the blood sacrifice that God has revealed. You can, you can find mercy and you will be reconciled to, to him. But here's the, here's the, here's the issue. What, what do you think? You know the family dynamics. You know what's going on. What do you think is a barrier for Cain to do what he needs to do? 
he's going to have to say that Abel was, angry people have a hard time with this, Abel was right. Abel was right. Abel, Abel was right. I mean, that's a angry, that's a hard thing for an angry person to do. But, 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 it's not so much that Abel was right as who is right. God is right. And that's where, (laughs) that's where the battle is, friends. With my unrighteous anger, will I say, I'm in charge, and I'm right, and I'm in control, or will the Lord's word help me to see that I'm not right? Well, Cain ignores this warning, but I'm encouraging you not to. Sin crouches at the door. And by the way, this is the first time in the Bible that the word sin is used. It's right there. If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. See, number four is simply the destructive power of anger. It says in verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him, literally struck him down. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Cain has acted on his anger. And the world's first baby becomes the world's first murderer. We see here the first death in the Bible is not by natural causes. Abel didn't just get old one day and pass away. He's struck down by his own brother. He's he's murdered. You may have noticed this in Genesis 3. When God comes to Adam, he asks the question, where are you? In Genesis 4, when he comes to Cain, the question is, where is your brother? The two greatest commands are, first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Adam had not done that. The second command is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Cain not only has not done that, he's not done this, right? When God spoke both to Adam and to Cain, it's not that he doesn't know the answer. When he says, where is your brother? He went into, Cain does what we call today, total denial, doesn't he? My, my brother? Which brother? Who? What? My brother? But God's never fooled, and he says, now you're under a curse. We continue to read, what is it that Cain becomes as a restless wanderer? One statement he makes that's actually true is, my curse is greater than I can bear. But then look what he does in verse 17. Do you know that uh, sometimes you can repeat the mistakes that your parents make? You notice that? So Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch when he built a city. He called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Well, it turned out that I wasn't the deliverer, but maybe my son is. And it just goes on and on and on. 
Hey, you ready for some good news? Hey, there is a deliverer. It's not happenstance. It's not just a neat little tack on like a a bow on top of the Christmas tree detail. The virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, right? The Holy Spirit is what the Lord says to Mary. will overshadow you and the child that is born in Bethlehem who is Jesus doesn't have, it doesn't come from the line of Adam. Who is it? It's actually the Lord himself. So when he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood, guess what that is? That's the real covering. All the other coverings, all the other sacrifices were pictures of what he would actually do. So here's a promise from this last scene, scene number four, is this. Sin hardens the heart, and the longer you go on without repenting, the less likely you will ever repent. Sin hardens the heart, and when the Lord approaches you through his word and tells you that you need to repent, the longer you go without repenting, the harder the heart gets. Now, whoever has the hardest heart in the room this morning, I believe, is not out of the reach of the grace of God. But it's going to take repentance and humility and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're in Genesis 4, when we've got the whole Bible, praise the Lord, to draw from to make a couple of observations. When the Lord comes to Cain before he kills Abel and draws near like a loving father draws near, and, and he says to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? What would have been an honest answer from Cain? My pride just got crushed. Stood there. God, you had regard for Abel and his offering, but mine, you didn't. And it embarrassed me hurt my pride now we're tracking together right if Cain believes he's the deliverer but he's not what's the work of grace that God needs to do in his life to reveal to him that he's not you're not the savior you need to be saved and when they make the offerings that's the message that's being sent is Cain you didn't make an offering of faith you made an offering of your own works You know why most people aren't reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ? Because they believe that their own fruit, their own works, what they have produced, they can offer to God. And it's enough, but it's not enough, y'all. It's not enough. It's a complete underestimation of what sin really is. But Cain doesn't say that. He does what angry people do. He shuts down. He withdraws. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Can we get the full revelation of Scripture? We do not do well. We don't do well. We can't be accepted. You know what Cain should have said? God, what what he says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, Cain, but you must rule over it. Do you know what that statement is begging for Cain to respond to in that moment? I can't rule over it. And now we're ready to make progress. I can't do it, God. It's not in me, God. I can't rule over my anger. I want to take Abel out into the fields and strike him down. You want a blood offering, God? This is just about what Cain is doing. You want a real blood offering? I'll give you a blood offering. And God says his blood's crying out from the ground. 
But Cain doesn't say any of those things. Now, Cain can't go back in time. This is why I'm calling you this morning. You need to repent. Has anger got the ruling place in your heart? I'm going to give you just a few applications for your life from what we've said. And the first, first application is this. I'm going to give you three. Here's the first one. Never, ever, 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 ever underestimate the power of sin. The quickest way to disaster in your life is to think that you can rule over it, to think that you can control it, to think, well, I've got got a handle on my lust. I've got a handle on my anger. I've got a handle on my materialism. I've got a handle on my pride. No, it crouches at the door, and its desire is to rule over you. Don't think that you are above the warning that God gives. So is anybody here this morning, you've got a stronghold sin, and, and you've actually got the thought in your mind. You, you, you probably wouldn't even say it out loud. You, you wouldn't say it at home group. You wouldn't say it at Sunday school. You wouldn't say it at the lobby. But, but you're saying in your life right now, I've got a handle over this. God has revealed something that is wrong in your life. Don't shut down like Cain and say, well, I got this. We don't have this. We need a deliverer from outside of us to deliver us from us. Second, well, at this point, let's just put a verse on the screen from 1 John. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. It really couldn't be any plainer than that, could it? Second application, we can't go around saying, Oh, we love the Lord when we hate our brother, our sister. Let's keep going on the first John. Next verse, also going to be on the screen. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. The contrast between Cain and Christ is clear, isn't it? Cain took the life of his brother. Christ laid down his life for his brothers. And that takes me to 1 John 3.16. You know John 3.16, this is 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Friends, do you believe that the Spirit of Jesus could reign and rule in your hearts and for you to be unrighteously angry at the same time? Ultimately, the only answer for unrighteous anger is for you to be filled with the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I shared this with our uh, marriage group last Sunday night. And we were applying this to marriage, but I believe it can be applied to any relationship that needs the grace of God to bring um, help and healing. See, Cain and Abel had a fractured relationship because of the sin in Cain's life. Abel hadn't really done anything wrong. The scripture says, as far as it is up to you, live at peace with everyone. So whether it's your marriage that's strained or a parent-child relationship that's strained, um, 
who should take the first step? I, I, I read this in a marriage book one time, and I've just never forgotten it. So if there's distance, there's a gulf between you and someone else, who should take the first step to seek to have reconciliation? Do you know who it should be? Whoever it is that's most like Jesus. Whoever it is that most wants to live like Jesus. laid down his life. Hey, when God comes to Cain, it's God who's pursuing reconciliation. It's God who's trying to make things right, even though God has not done anything wrong. Third application, and we'll be done. You must come to God God's way, not your way. You must come to God God's way, not your way. On the basis of the sacrifice he has revealed and pointed to, and that is the promised one of Genesis 3.15, is Jesus. You cannot come to God just any old way you want to. You say, well, I'm really sincere about it. Doesn't matter. Sincerely wrong. God establishes how to come to him. In fact, the whole Bible can be summarized. You read it there in Genesis 3, right? God drove them out. Do you you know what it says in the book of Revelation? New heaven and new earth, God himself is going to come and dwell with his people. How did that happen? How do we go from at the beginning, they're driven out, to at the end, he comes down and dwells with them. He's the light. The, The tree of life is there. If you want to go back and read that, get into that. It's a fruitful study. What happened between Genesis and Revelation? Well, the promises that, Jesus, uh, that the Lord made about Jesus in Genesis 3 came true, didn't they? That God is a promise keeper. You cannot come in your own name. You cannot come on the basis of your own achievements. Cain wanted to come his way, and you cannot do that. It's only through faith in Jesus that we can come to God. If you come confessing your sins and believing that your sin is covered by the sacrifice of Jesus, you will receive mercy no matter what you've done. So in conclusion, what we'd be able to say this morning is anger is like a warning light in your life. You ever have the warning light go off in your car, right? You ever have two go off? That was something really, you know, one you can ignore. The second warning light comes on, you're like, maybe I shouldn't drive this. Well, friends, anger is one of the biggest warning lights you can have. So if you get up in the morning and you're already seething, you go to bed and you're tossed and turning, it's just replayed in your mind. Something needs to be fixed and something needs to change. You don't have to keep going the way that you've been going. What if Cain had responded to God with humility and repentance? What if Cain had said, I cannot do what is right? I have this anger inside of me. I have this hatred towards Abel inside of me. My pride is so wounded. I'm so hurt. And I do not have any peace. And did you notice that even even after, even after he strikes Abel down, the Lord comes to him again. And even at that moment, if he had said, Lord, you are so gracious to still let me live confess my sin without any excuse and give me rest give my life a new direction but Cain didn't Cain didn't do that but friends as we open the invitation I am telling you that you 
can. You can. Would you stand with me? We'll pray together. What a privilege. See, this is just a suspicion that I have. You can tell me I'm wrong if you think I'm wrong. But it's right here where in our minds we pivot and start to think, what's for lunch? What's the afternoon plan? When's the kickoff? And that's dangerous because this, this, is, where, this is where we go from formal theology to functional theology. Right here. So we're here together. We need each other. We love each other. It's important that you gather with the people of God to study the word. And very often it's in a time like this, gathered in a, with a group of people like this, that God can work in a deep way. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, and we're going to have what we call an invitation. The invitation is for you to respond to God. Remember Cain shut down, cut off, stayed angry. Well, there's not one specific way to respond in an invitation. I believe the Lord is better (laughs) at working than any of us could come up with on our own. You might have a particular burden this morning. Just say, it would be really helpful in my life right now to have have somebody to pray with. I'm going to stand here at the front. It'd be my joy to do that. It might be that you're in a season of life and anger has, has just about eaten you up. Like most fights, I've come to learn it's, it's, an, it's an ongoing battle, but Jesus can rule and Jesus can reign. It might be that you want to come to the front and just kneel here and say, Lord, I, I am not up for this. <laughs> I've tried every way I know to rule over my anger. It rules over me. I need you to rule over me. Maybe there's a husband and wife. Y'all need to pray together. Say, I don't even know where it started, but it, we are there right now that anger is the authority in our marriage. We just need the Lord's help. may mean staying right where you are. And that's perfectly fine. The Holy Spirit can meet you sitting where you are. That's true. You just ask the Lord for help in the way that Cain didn't. You, you may want to just use the invitation time to praise the Lord that there's a better brother than Cain. His name is Jesus. He's not sought to take life from us. He's, he's laid his life down for us. Oh God, I pray in Jesus' name for a Holy Spirit-led time of invitation. We can't fix it. We're not up for that. But Jesus is a healer. And Jesus is a helper. And Jesus has done something about our unrighteous anger. So whatever the issue is at the deepest level, whether it's control, whether it's want to be in charge, whether, whether like Cain, we're just not very correctable, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us in a very angry generation that we live in. One of the ways we could be distinct from the world is that we don't live with anger in charge. 
We live it with God's grace and charge. Lord, lead our invitation in time. May it be led of the Spirit and glorified to the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
Neither my brother or I ever picked up the pillow off the floor. It stayed there. We kept with hostility looking at each other until a door opened and Daddy walked in the room. And as soon as that happened, the whole tone of the room changed. And I, in a moment, realized this has been so foolish. You know who picked the pillow up off the floor? My dad did. What's my pillow doing on the floor? Put it back on. What's, what's the matter with you two? <laughs> this what, what do y'all do instead again here? Some of us have locked ourselves in, in this our existence, this little box. I'll tell you when he comes back, and he will be back soon. I, I don't in my life want to be living a life less than the abundant life the Lord Jesus has provided for me. I don't want to find be found with anger or lust or pride or anxiety or the love of money on the throne. They're not coming back for me. Jesus is. So I'm going to say it one more time. Do not let the sun go down on your anger so as to give an opportunity to the devil. Let's pray together. We got so much came in us so much of him in us so we got the same nature he has so much Cain so much we can do it the way we want to do it so much pride so much anger 
Thank you for mercy and compassion and grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you kept your word in Genesis 3.15. One has crushed the head of the snake. So God, for your glory, for your glory, spare us. Grant that we'd have spirit of humility, pursue reconciliation, so that that one whose head's been crushed by Jesus doesn't get an opportunity in my life today, my marriage today, my family today, my church today, my city today, not my life, because the gospel reigns, not anger. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.